0: Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however,
1: you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place.
0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. What a cracker of an episode we have for you today. I am so excited. Are you excited, Amy? (laughs) This is the stuff that health practitioners nerd out on. So yes, I am definitely excited. (laughs) I love it when we get to talk about a topic that is so often confusing for people or misrepresented. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into some of the pet peeves when it comes to dairy Mm -hmm. and understanding the different marketing and things around it. But Mm -hmm. I love being able to put this clearly out there for people because I think that what i've noticed is that a lot of um people will well intentionally attempt like dairy free or changing the com- like taking out the component of dairy that they think they're reacting to mm. and they're actually not doing it the right way for what their issue is mm. and it you know it can make such a difference when you get it right i've had that experience in clinic so many times and it's so exciting because when simple things you know you and i often deal with quite complex cases and so when something mm. only mm. requires a really simple change and a huge degree of things just start to fall into place it's like mm. oh my god how how good how does it get to be this easy
1: <laughs> <laughs> we live for it friends we, we do. do
0: we do well let's try dive straight on in so what i actually just wanted to start with is just to let you guys know if you weren't already aware that When it comes to dairy, so we're referring to, um, you know, primarily cow's dairy, but this is also true to a small degree of goats and sheep's dairy. But for the purpose of this conversation, Mm. let's think of it mostly Mm. in cow's dairy terms because that's most of what people are going to be reacting to. Mm. Um, And would you agree with that, Amy, before we like just to set the scene on that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, cool. All right. So in when we're talking about cow's dairy, and we're just going to refer to it as dairy for ease, mm. we are actually, there's a potential that you can react to three different components in dairy, which we're going to walk you through. So one is the proteins. And I would say that that's actually, in my experience, the most common, mm. contrary to popular belief. Um, and the next one is sugar, the sugar in dairy. And then the final one is the fat. In dairy. well, mm. So, we'll walk you through each of these, but let's actually start with the protein in dairy. So, Amy, what are we specifically talking about when we're talking about the proteins in dairy? So, when we're looking at proteins in dairy, I guess just to, for context,
1: whatever type of protein that we consume, whether it's from dairy, uh, animal meats, um, plant-based proteins, The goal of our digestive system is to break proteins down into peptides, dipeptides, tripeptides, maybe, for absorption across the gut wall. And we know that digestion is absolutely key for gut health, but also general health. And with dairy protein, there are a collection of um, proteins in there and a sub-collection of proteins called caseins tend to be the ones that people find the most inflammatory um, because they are the most difficult to digest. Now, you've obviously got dairy foods, so yogurt, milk, ice cream, cream, butter, cheese, kind of the the big ones. Um, And, of course, in the sports supplement world, you've also got protein powders. Um, many of them which use dairy proteins, either um, casein, whey protein concentrate, whey protein isolate, sometimes a combination of the above, um, often in combination with other sources as well, whether that's collagen peptides and or soy or something like that. And the issue is in dairy food, caseins, actually make up about 80% of all milk proteins. So they're the most significant source, the dominant source of proteins. And the issue is it's a very complex polypeptide. Its amino acid sequence is huge. And as humans, we struggle to cleave off the proline. It occurs more than 10 times in the polypeptide. Which means these proteins often don't get broken down properly, and as a result, can set up inflammatory. Um, well, set off an immune response, whether that's inflammatory driven um, or more of a classic allergy. Sometimes it's a combination of both. Now, how do you know you have an issue with dairy protein? Well, there might be a few giveaways. Um, Certainly if you've ever had a food intolerance test done, you might've found IDG or IgM antibodies to dairy protein if you consume it. Um, But usually how it presents to us in clinic Is someone can handle ghee. Um, Sometimes butter and cream seems to be fine, but things like cheese, yogurt, and ice cream um, can really set them off um, and and create symptoms. And that's a result of that really complex polypeptide or long chain of amino acids and large protein not being broken down properly and Mm -hmm. starting to create issues in the digestive system. Now, the most common symptoms for Um, issues with dairy protein are actually not digestive symptoms and and Nat and I are going to share what we see in clinic in a moment but certainly there can be gut problems Um, anytime you have maldigestion of protein in the gut we can certainly see like things kind of sit heavily in the tummy. They feel like they're not being digested properly. So we might find a client says to us, oh, "I just I just feel like it's sitting in my tummy and I'm not breaking it down." Um, it can also contribute to like smelly stools, really smelly gas, because protein, of course, contains sulfur bonds. Um, but generally speaking, the issues that I see with dairy proteins tend to be outside of the gut for me it's acne. Mm. I get cystic lumps on my face. Um, uh, But for others, it might be other chronic skin issues like eczema or flaring up psoriasis. Migraines are another one that I see a lot, although that has more to do with specific amino acids in there um, itself. But everything that I see tends to be inflammatory. Um, Mm. What about you, Nat? What do you see with, with dairy protein issues?
0: Yeah, I totally agree with everything you've shared there. And I'd say, yeah, when, when I think of that skin presentations, really, really obvious ones, as you said. And and when you were speaking to the gut stuff, I mm. think a really good differentiation for people. At, and this is not hard and fast. This is just mm. a general trend that I seem to see most of the time and this is where you know if you really want to get down into the nitty-gritty of it working with a practitioner can help but i usually find a a you know a digestive symptom to dairy protein is more manifesting in constipation like sluggish digestion ibs type mm-hmm. symptoms and less so in loose stools. Um, That's more comes in my experience when we're talking about um, lactose, which is the dairy sugar, which we'll get into and we'll explain why. Um, The other things that I would say would be brain fog, um, excessive mucus production or things like post-nasal drip, sinus issues, congestion. I'd also say mood changes or feeling just... Mm. Yeah, I guess mood changes is the easiest way to describe it. Mm. And the other one I'd add to that are painful periods. I do a lot of work with um, endo and I know you do as well, Amy. And I would say that one of the biggest dietary turnarounds can often be just taking out dairy and, and you know, in in more significant endo or period pain, that is just one part of a very large intervention that needs to happen but it can be a really profound one and I think it's worth knowing about um as well or even in in heavy periods I personally have seen it make quite a big difference so um there's lots of complex reasons as to why that might be but I think just knowing that and knowing that checklist is a really good place to start um you know uh, speaking of like why and and why dairy protein issues manifest Mm. is there anything you wanted to um add to that beyond what you already shared around just the difficulty with with breaking it down
1: so there's a few things obviously um we have there's an issue there with cleaving the proline bonds um but there are other reasons why someone's digestive system might be not producing sufficient proteolytic enzymes. And, you know, we've covered that in previous episodes around digestion and stress, but ultimately um, stress and not supporting your nervous system to be in the right state will also compromise your ability to break those larger proteins down. And certainly for me, um, I notice that when I'm really well and I'm really rested and I'm taking care of myself, I can get away with some cheese and not break out. Um, but when I am burning the candle at both ends, not in the, you know, the ideal state, then a very small amount of cheese can give me a lovely cyst on my face. Um, and so in some ways, you know, at as someone who specializes in skin. And the reason I did that was because of my own skin problems. It's a blessing and a curse because it's very immediate feedback from your body as to where you're at. Um, And, but the nice thing about that is I don't have to be dairy free, you know, a hundred percent. I just know when I'm going to be able to tolerate it more or not. So yeah, that's probably all I have to say about, um, the protein piece, there are lots of ways that you can overcome challenges with um, dairy protein issues. and Obviously, working with a practi- practitioner like Nat or myself is going to be the way that you can get to the bottom of why you're having an issue and, and actually get the right strategy for you um, if that's something you want to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, that's just one component of dairy. <laughs> That can impact people. Um,
0: what's another piece that you commonly see, Nat? Mm, so the next one that I that I think we should talk about is lactose intolerance. So lactose is the sugar found in dairy. Mm. And so lactose is actually what we call a disaccharide, which just means it's two little sugars holding hands together. So that the two sugars that are in there are galactose and glucose, and that makes up lactose. So lactose is naturally present there and just to explain because I know a lot of people are familiar with lactose-free milk, lactose-free ice cream, uh, lactose-free cheese, etc. So two things to share here. One, um, what they do often to make those um m- primarily milk and and yogurt and ice cream mm. um they you know they do have cheeses that are lactose free as well and I'll speak to that pet peeve in a moment mm. but what they do is add lactase which mm. is the enzyme that mm. helps to break down lactose into its simpler sugars which Are more readily or easily digested when you don't when you aren't producing enough lactase yourself now that like a few misconceptions here is that just because you are breaking like you've got lactose-free milk doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have any less sugar in that milk or that yogurt or that ice cream or whatever it is all it means is that it's gone from a disaccharide so a two sugar kind of bond to a to um, a further broken down sugar so that's just one thing I wanted to clear up because that has come (laughs) up a few times with clients and some confusion around that Mm. the other thing is that you often can tolerate even with a lactose intolerance and Amy will talk about the why behind that in a moment but Mm. you often often can tolerate just a a very small moderate amount because when we say I'm I'm you know I'm lactose intolerant. It's it's usually that you're not producing enough lactase enzyme to be able to break down significant amounts of lactose that are in products that naturally contain lactose. Um, but trace amounts or small amounts you often can. Now, lactose free stuff is only relevant when you're eating a food that contains sugar or carbohydrate. Now, when we're talking about cheese. Cheese mm. is not sweet, friends. Cheese is savory. Cheese does not contain very much sugar at all. Therefore, like save your money and stop buying lactose-free cheese because <laughs> if you're reacting to cheese, you're not reacting to the lactose. In my experience, you're probably reacting to the dairy proteins mm. in there. And, and of course, they're going to be, as always, little exceptions to that rule. But by and large, I would say, lactose free cheese is BS save your money because it's really just there's not enough in there to warrant the extra lactase and then paying for that on top of what you're already doing yes uh, but different story when it comes to milk and um and ice cream yogurt a bit I would I would still say most people with a lactose intolerance can have a small amount of regular, um, regular yogurt regular dairy yogurt without having a, a lactose intolerance type reaction but if you're super mm-hmm. sensitive then maybe that's not the case Um, but I just wanted to clear that up because I just can't I can't deal with the mm. <laughs> I just can't I just
1: can't I know um, it's not g- green it was is it, is it a form of green washing or health washing let's call oh, it health washing it's, 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 it's annoying crap. It's yeah, so it crap.
0: Is. It's so misleading, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, it is because it just feels like whenever anything says free on it, like gluten-free, lactose-free, dairy-free, like oh, must be amazing because <laughs> it's free from all the things, but yeah, you know, I think this is where we have to be discerning or pay for someone who can be discerning for you to just yeah. clear up what is your issue versus what is not your issue. Yeah. So While I just gather myself from that very uh, just fired up around the lactose-free situation, Mm. do you want to share a few of um, the symptoms? I think I shared earlier that one of the key ones is diarrhea quite Mm. soon after you've had dairy. Are there any others that you can think of when it comes to lactose?
1: Yeah. So as as you mentioned, um, it's a sugar that's made up of two smaller sugars And any time things aren't broken down properly, carbohydrates specifically, they can pull water into the bowel, so hence the diarrhea. Um, But also it ferments. And so we can get gas and bloating and it can be quite violent. It can be quite quick as well. That's sort of another indicator that it's a lactose issue rather than a protein issue. It can occur very quickly after ingesting lactose. Um, And then the body, there's generally an evacuation of sorts um, to get it out. Whereas with the protein that, you know, the reaction can be hours or days sometimes later. So, with that being said, um, how do you know you're lactose intolerant? You probably, this is probably an easy one for people to get because the instant you consume lactose, you end up with gas, bloating, and diarrhea. And typically, the highest lactose containing foods are milk and ice cream. Um, Generally speaking, if you have an issue with lactose but not protein, you can get away with having Greek yogurt, hard cheeses, sometimes the softer cheeses as well. Um, But it's those things that are high in the dairy sugar that are a problem for you. And the reason this is an issue or the reason why you might not be breaking it down, there's kind of three main categories and and it all boils down to not producing an enzyme called lactase. So, if you were to buy lactose-free milk, it's not like there's a special cow that makes milk that doesn't contain lactose. What they do is they treat the milk with an enzyme called lactase. Not yet, anyway. Not yet, anyway. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there is.
0: There's probably like a bot cow that's coming <laughs> soon. For sure.
1: Someone genetic engineering AI cow lactose-free. Yeah, something, something like that. Three D printing a glass of milk or something disgusting <laughs> like that. Um, But basically, if you don't produce the enzyme to break down the lactose into its two smaller components, you're going to have these problems. And then why would you not be producing enough lactase? There's three main reasons. So number one, and this one is fixable and temporary um, at, at worst and that is a loss of brush border enzymes at the gastrointestinal wall as a result of gut inflammation now it could be a course of antibiotics it could be about of food poisoning it could have been a period of stress um there's lots of different reasons why your gastrointestinal tract, it's microvilli and the brush border enzymes get compromised. Again, this is why you need to work with a practitioner like Nat or myself to get to the root cause as well as heal the tissue. But lactase is actually produced in the very lining of the gut. It doesn't come through um, from further up. And so You know, if you've you've got a damaged brush border or a damaged lining of your gut, you're going to become lactose intolerant um, for the period of time that that inflammation and damage remains. Um, The second reason is our body is trying to be as energy efficient as possible. And if you are avoiding lactose specifically for any reason, after a couple of years, the body's like, well, we don't need to make that anymore because it's not part of our diet. And so you can induce lactose intolerance by going lactose-free for an extended period of time, thereby down-regulating your lactase production. Um, as Nat said, though, Many lactose intolerant people, and certainly those that fit into those first two categories that I've mentioned already, can often tolerate a small amount of lactose, um, sometimes even up to as much as 12 grams in one go, which is about a cup of milk, um, or up to 24 grams spread out across the course of a day. But the third category, and I've had a client who is in this category, is what we would call genetically acquired lactose intolerance. And it's a genetic variant uh, in the gene that codes for lactase, 13910C. Um, the, the C is converted to a T, so we've lost the um, that sort of base, genetic base there, and so the enzyme doesn't get produced. And basically this is really common in or pre- um, prevalent in people of East Asian descent as well as in people from West Africa, Arabian, Jewish, Greek, and Italian um, descent as well. And and in my case, my client was Jewish. And 70 up to 100% of people in these communities have this genetic polymorphism or genetic variant um, that means they don't make lactase. And so, for these people, certainly in the experience of my client, even the tiniest amount of lactose sets off a huge gastrointestinal chain reaction and they have to be super careful. There's a virtually a zero tolerance <laughs> to lactose for, for them. And mm. for them, there isn't, you know, no amount of gut work will restore lactase production because it just literally isn't in their genetics to be able to do that And so depending on which of these three categories you fall into um, or that points to the cause, the root cause of your lactose intolerance would then determine how a practitioner would help you recover from that or navigate that in your day-to-day life. Um, So tricky. Um, The uh, one thing I will also say is if you have issues with your brush border enzymes, you've got inflammation in the lining of your gut you're probably also avoiding FODMAPs because you've lost fructase as well, meaning you're starting to react to oligosaccharides mm-hmm. also. And so that's a bit of a clue that it's it's the lining of your gut, that that's the origin
0: of the issue. Did I miss anything in that? You did not. At least nothing no. I can think of. So okay. I'm going to go with absolutely not. Okay. You, have, you have served the people in that category. <laughs> All right. Well, that
1: brings us to the last macronutrient that's found in dairy that um, you may have an issue with if you consider yourself to be intolerant to dairy. Um, We were chatting before we hit record, and for Nat and I, this is definitely the least common issue we see for people with dairy, and that is issues with the fat component. And what I'll say about this is. Although dairy fat does deliver a lot of growth factors and hormones, which can make it specifically problematic, issues with dairy fat tend to be a result of issues with fat digestion and malabsorption overall. And what this means is if you've got an issue with fat in dairy, you probably also struggle with fatty foods elsewhere, even if the fat's not derived from dairy. And what symptoms that looks like. It could be nausea after eating fatty foods or dairy fat. You might notice you might even vomit. If you feel that sick, you might have gallbladder pain. So pain, typically gallbladder pain occurs sort of on the backside of our bodies, just under the right shoulder blade. It can refer to the top of the shoulder also. Um, And pale-coloured stools, oily stools, floating stools. So any, basically the fat isn't being absorbed so you can see it coming through uh, in the toilet bowl. And this can be a result of either poor gut health. So even if you're breaking down the fat properly with bile acids um, and pancreatic lipases, Um, your gastrointestinal tract is struggling to absorb it across the gut wall, or maybe you've got issues with your liver and gallbladder or both. Maybe you've had your gallbladder out because Mm. the underlying liver issue wasn't dealt with. Um, These would be scenarios where we would find someone would have an issue with dairy fat um, typically, they would probably be okay on dairy-based protein powders if they were okay with the protein um, and maybe some low-fat dairy foods, so maybe things like ricotta, um, for example, or low-fat cheeses. Um, and so, yeah, as I said, though, it's it's, I've had one client that had an issue with dairy fat specifically and not other dietary fats. But typically speaking, if you've got an issue with dairy fat, you are most likely to have an issue with dietary fat generally. And again, working with a practitioner to identify what's the underlying cause of that and how to correct it would be really important. Now, I'd love to hear your experience with this if you've seen it at all.
0: What have, mm. what have you
1: come up with?
0: Pretty much like exactly what what you've said. I would say that the large majority of my clients where they've had an issue with dairy fats, it's usually that they've had an issue with fats generally. Mm -hmm. Like a really common overlap is also when you get a client to have like coconut yogurt or coconut Mm -hmm. milk or coconut yogurt seems to do the trick when it's an actual like just plain, you know, unsweetened coconut yogurt. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this because That is a really high fat food as well. And usually that's one where I'll often find there's an overlap. They'll have an issue with that as well as have an issue with dairy fats. Mm. Um, But it is, it very much comes down to that fat maldigestion or or issues across the board with it. The only symptom I thought of that you didn't mention um, there is that I often find they can, along with that kind of sense of, okay, I've had the fat. Quite soon after, as you mentioned, that kind of nauseous feeling, mm. and um, then sometimes diarrhea quite quickly afterwards. Yeah. Um, and you know, with it again, I find that usually it's a volume, like a a case of how much have I had in one sitting, mm. and that's going to be exist on a spectrum for people depending on how much they're struggling with fat digestion and where that's coming from so you know for some clients of mine who've had their gallbladder removed you know there's a limit to what we're going to be able to get them to tolerate from a fat perspective without outside help um yeah. Yeah. but it's still possible it's just about maximizing your ability and also identifying why you're having an issue with it in the first place so i agree with you i think it's it's far less Commonly specific to dairy fat, specifically, how many times can I say specific, <laughs> um, and more so fat, mal digestion. So again, like probably or hopefully as you're listening to this, uh, you've probably had a few aha moments around what the different the differences are between the dairy intolerance, quote unquote, that you have or potentially have. Mm. And also- I hope it also allows you to see the benefit in having a practitioner look over this for you as an N equals one, i.e. you as an individual, what are your drivers and, and how do we find the most variety in your diet with the least amount of symptoms and how do we maximize your genetic potential to digest dairy if that feels like something you want to include in your diet Mm. because I think having flexibility in your diet to be able to make informed choices is good and it's not that you have to eat dairy Mm. Um, it's more so just understanding what happens when you do And getting hints as to, okay, like if I've got this issue, what else might this be telling me about the rest of my body or whatever it might be? So, yeah, yeah, that's all I had to share there. Anything to add um, on any of that, Amy? Yeah, I just think
1: um, picking up what you said, you don't have to eat dairy. I mean, there are other challenges with dairy products that have nothing to do with it's digestion and absorption, but more its contents and its influence on our health and our hormones. So this conversation really is for those who want to include it in their diet. Maybe it's just a digestive thing. Um, But of course, if you don't eat dairy, you probably didn't listen. So that's Mm -hmm. okay. Um, but certainly anytime you're having difficulty digesting anything, that is definitely an indicator to me that you've you're getting a message from your body that there's something deeper and bigger going on. On. And it's first of all, not symptoms you should put up with or accept and just go, oh, well, that's just how I am. But second of all, understanding it to be a message from your body and, and appreciating the fact that it's an opportunity for you to improve your health and maybe circumvent bigger issues down the track um, would be my key takeaway from this. Mm-hmm. Um and and perhaps just you know, the final comment would be I don't, I don't love hearing from patients how they've tried to go it alone for so long. Um, the thing I see most commonly these days is FODMAP issues. And most people are under the impression, A, that there's bodies broken and B, therefore they need to be on a low FODMAP diet for life when when mm. neither of those things are true um, and it is absolutely able to be addressed. And you know, cutting any huge swathes of things out of your diet Um, down regulates your diversity. And we know diversity is key for overall health, um, not just physical, but mental health as well. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, if you are having any issues with dairy products or otherwise, please reach out to either Nat or myself, because
0: um, we want you to live your best life, friend. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it. No, that's so a good way to wrap up. I think it's I love what you said there around not accepting it at face value but actually going, okay, cool, this is a message from my body and then working with someone to, you know, correct the underlying drivers and optimize your digestive um, abilities no matter what you choose to include or exclude from your diet because often these intolerances are hints rather than overt, this Mm -hmm. is just, you know, you can't eat this. I absolutely believe that not all of us are meant to eat every single food under the sun and that we, you know, we're all individually may have some things that we do better off having a low amount of or avoiding for the most part. But I think that more often than not, that list can be a lot smaller than what people probably imagine it to be. So, mm, mm. yeah, big encouragement to to reach out if you need some help. Mm. Um, before we wrap up, I just have one quick announcement, um, which is just to remind you that I'm running a free workshop um, in relation to PMS and healthy periods and cycles uh, in June, so June 13th at 6.30pm. If you want to come along, then I would so love to have you there and you can actually register via the link in my bio and I will be sharing more about it across social media as it gets closer so if you want to check that out you're more than welcome to as well Mm -hmm. um any any last final comments things to add from you Ames Oh, just wishing all of our beautiful
1: listeners a happy, happy day. Whatever day you're listening to this, uh, we adore you. And we're also still receiving great questions from you um, for the podcast. So just a, um, a friendly invitation and reminder that if you have questions for us, friends, we have got a link in the show notes to a speak pipe. Um, what do you call it? An app, website account. Basically, you can send us a little love note and feel free to send us a love note, friends. They are our favorite. (laughs) We get such a thrill every time we hear your voices, but of course, um, all of your questions are welcome and we really enjoy answering them on the podcast as well.
0: Yes. Amazing. All right. Well, have the best day guys, and we will be in your ear holes again next week. You've been listening
1: to the Holistic Health Podcast with Amy and Nat.
0: If you loved this episode, then make sure you share it on Instagram and give us a tag. If you'd like to help us spread the Holistic Health message far and wide, then we would also so appreciate it if you left a rating and review. This
1: helps us more than you know.
0: And don't forget to come and say hi over on Instagram. See you next week.